And y'all, we are, we are blessed with the folks that we have to come in here and help us with worship. And, uh, and we're thankful for um, Lydia and Dalton coming and actually uh, Lori and TJ's daughter and son-in-law. And uh, so thank y'all so much. So good, good, good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and obviously we're thankful for Steve on bass and John on drums and Deidre and all of our folks that take care of us um, every Sunday. So you probably wonder, why do I have a Dunkin'? I know there's no donuts in it. I disappointed a lot of people this morning. I brought this in. They go, hey, and then I went, nothing in there. Um, but anyway, so uh, my wife on December, uh, no, I'm sorry, November the 3rd brought a box of these health food delicacies home. And uh, I'm bothered by this because it was three days after Halloween, Right? And we've already got Christmas stuff on the boxes. And I'm like, really, Dunkin' Donuts? Now, I know, I know a lot of y'all love Halloween, and I, I get that. You know, I don't want to be the old guy that's like, oh, it's not the devil and all that stuff. I, I get that. But people really do that a lot. And I'm going, you know, should there not be uh, a leaf on here, some fall leaves, um, a cornucopia, a turkey, a pilgrim, something on here? But we went right from Halloween into Christmas already. What about Thanksgiving? Come on, Duncan, help me out here. Are we just going to skip over that holiday? Now, some of y'all are laughing, but you know it's true. You've already been in stores, and it's all the Christmas stuff is up. I was like, what in the world? I mean, I know, but my calendar says Christmas is December 25th, right? And we've got a while, so let's let, you know, let's, let's kind of help out with this. So I did, I was encouraged a little bit because I did see some righteous people this week in this town. So I want to show you what I, what I saw this week. There you go. There's a righteous family out there, okay? There's a, they're celebrating Thanksgiving. And then this one's even better, the next one. Show the next one. I, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to say. You probably won't remember anything else I say in my sermon, but you'll remember that. And that's the gist of it right there. Wait your turn, okay? Because we know, and, and, and Halloween's funny to me because people that we normally would never talk to and ignore, we show up at their house with a costume and ask for and expect to get candy, right? And we get it. I mean, that's what, that's what we do at Halloween. And then some people hadn't even gotten their, uh, you know, the Grim Reaper and the Ghost and the Pumpkin inflatables down before. We've got Santa and Zell's already on there. So I appreciate these godly people in Noonan that have some, <laughs> some, some, some that are not forgetting now, we're laughing about this, y'all, but I really am a little concerned. I don't want to be that guy, the grumpy old guy. You know, in my day, everything was great, you know, but um, it's something that I think is uh, important to give thanks for what he's done in our lives, not only in our lives, throughout our lives, but just specifically thinking about this particular year, because every year is different, isn't it? Every year we have things that happen, both good and bad, and somehow if we really think about it, God's involved in all of that. And isn't that what Thanksgiving is supposed to be about, is reflecting and thanking God for things in our lives? And uh, Thanksgiving and reflecting on God's provision was certainly an important part of um, the Jewish culture that we read about in many of the festivals in the Bible. I mean, those guys, when they got together, man, it was an all-week celebration with food and coming together and thanking God. And a part of that was this huge thankfulness where we are praising God. We're thanking God for all the things He's done for us as families and community and as a nation. And they, they celebrated big time. 
And it's not just the Jewish culture. Throughout, if you really study history, you will see that every culture has these moments where they stop and go, man, we need to reflect on this. We need to thank God for what happened here. Even when it's a a horrible tragedy, sometimes we think, but out of that, this is what's happened. And we take time to reflect on that. And it's part of the history of this nation in the United States. From its very infancy, pilgrims and Indians or Native Americans coming together for the celebration of thanks to God for his provisions. And a day of thanks in this nation has been made a national holiday, right? And do you, I don't know how many of y'all know the kind of the background behind that, but it was uh, Abraham Lincoln right during or right after the Civil War who goes, man, our country is in shambles. Y'all realize how many people died in the Civil War in this country? A lot of y'all maybe watched those documentaries and it was just astounding of what was going on. Can you imagine in this nation that happening? And so Abraham Lincoln says, we got to pull this together. And he said, hey, let's have a day of thanks where we remember what all God's done. And of course, it turned into some some other things. But that's how it started, giving thanks. And thanksgiving and gratitude are important in developing our character as human beings. Meaningful reflection is important and maturity in us as human beings. And without it, we tend to move forward like spoiled brats to the next thing that's all about me. And we forget about even some of the dark moments that other people have gone through so that we could even have a future, right? Now, our parents teach us about that when we're little, about being thankful, right? They go, what do you say, right, when you get something? What do you say? And you go, thank you, you know, real sincere like that. But after a while, you realize, man, my parents are trying to instill that in me. And then you catch yourself saying it to your own kids. What do you say, right? And we finally start after we've said it enough, we're instilled in us that I'm supposed to be grateful. I'm supposed to say something and let these people know that I have thanks for them. But have you ever done something for somebody and, and, or maybe gave something to somebody and you didn't really expect a lot of accolades about it or make a big deal about it, but you really just would have appreciated them acknowledging it or saying thank you? Have you ever been in that situation? I see some of you nodding your heads and it, it feels kind of funny because the next time you see them, you're like, yep, still waiting. <laughs> you got something you want to say to me? You know, Did you get it? Did you like it? Did you appreciate it? And again, you don't want a whole bunch of stuff, but it just there's something that feels weird in us when we see that person, even resentful or kind of like, I ain't doing that again. And we just feel that way. And so when I feel like that, and I have times like that, y'all, and I know y'all do too, but I say, you know what? This is what God feels like. This is what God must feel like when he has all these children throughout history and throughout the world. And a lot of times we forget how thankful and grateful we should be and and to acknowledge him and all things. That's why we do worship, right? This message is not really what this service should be about. It's about worship and praising God for who he is and what he's done for us. Well, today I want us to look at a text from Luke's gospel where Jesus actually addresses um, some folks who fail to give thanks to God, some folks who fail to give glory to God in a situation where they really should have because something really amazing happened in their lives that was life-changing. They received an amazing gift, but Jesus commends one person in this story that actually does give God thanks. So we're going to look at Luke 17. It'll be on the screen. You can look at it on your personal devices, on your Bibles, Um, but Luke writes this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. 
And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and this would have been his last time there and his last Passover there before being crucified. And as he's journeying there, he's traveling through Samaria and Galilee and he's sharing the good news and he's doing what Jesus did, making people feel special, making people feel like they mattered and that God had something for them in this great kingdom that he had. And I can imagine that Jesus is thinking about where he's headed during all of this, that he's going to the cross for the sins of the whole world, and that had to have weighed heavy on him. But as he approached this particular village, there's these 10 men who were lepers, and they've, they've met him, and they're, I guess, what you would call a, a leper colony. They've come to, hey, we've all got this same disease. I can't catch it for you, can't catch it for me. We all got it. We're in this together, and so they're kind of living together. And, and leprosy, as you know, is a terrible skin disease that can literally lead to limbs and joints, uh, you know, eventually getting into these infections and actually uh, skin rotting off of you. And those who were diagnosed had to, to stay away from other people. They had to leave their families and, and go outside of the city or outside of the village and uh, stay, uh, uh, you know, ostracized and away from everybody else. Now, can you imagine that? You know, if if you're a dad or a mom and all of a sudden you've got leprosy or you're, you're anybody and now you have to tell your family, I can't be here anymore. I'm having to leave because I have this disease that you catch. And so because I love you, I'm going to leave and we're going to go out. And you never get to hug your kids again. You never get to hug your wife, kiss your wife, see your friends. And every time somebody comes around, you have to scream, unclean, unclean. Don't come near me. I'm unclean. And then I told you all a few weeks ago about some horrible theology that was a part of this culture where if there was something bad that happened to you, either physically or whatever, people said, what'd you do? What did you do to make God mad? Because this is a punishment from God. And so people thought that about leprosy too. That because you had leprosy, you did something uh, really bad and God was punishing you before that. And it wasn't true, but that's the way people looked at it. So think about these folks. They're, they're struggling with, what did I do? And I have this terrible disease. And apparently these guys had heard of Jesus' reputation for healing, and they had possibly been looking for maybe a chance that Jesus would come to our village, that Jesus would come to our town, and maybe he would even heal us like he had done for the others. And so they seemed to have heard that Jesus was approachable. He wasn't afraid. He didn't run away from those who had diseases, and, and they had probably even heard where he actually laid his hands on some people who had leprosy. So they certainly wanted to get his attention. But they still followed the protocol. They stood at a distance and said, Master, have pity on us. And it's interesting, when Jesus could see that they were lepers, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And you think, well, none of them stopped and go, wait a minute, just go show myself to the priest. And so why did Jesus say that? Well, we know that from the Old Testament, it was part of the law of Moses that they received from God that to get back into community, to get back with your family and neighbors, anytime you had some kind of infection or something, you had to go to the priest and get him to inspect you so that you could come back into the community. 
Now, you read about this, and in, in, I think it's in Leviticus, and there's some weird stuff in there. You ever get have trouble sleeping at night? I've always encouraged you to read Leviticus, okay? But it's some weird stuff that you have to go to the priest and show them, see this mole, if it has white hairs in it, then oh, you got to go back outside. But if it has this, all this weird stuff, is the infection, does it have this? I mean, it gets pretty detailed in there, doesn't it? Those of you all who have read it. And so this is part of what they're doing. But interestingly, nobody goes, wait a minute, I can't go to the priest because they weren't immediately healed. It says, as they went, they were healed. Did anybody pick up on that? As they went, they were healed. So you remember in the Old Testament, I think I preached on this earlier this summer, but Naaman, remember in the Old Testament, he wanted to be healed and they told him to, um, you know, Elijah told him to go dip in the river. I'm not dipping in that river, but nobody argues here. They just go. Nobody goes, yeah, but I can't go to the priest if I still have leprosy. I can't walk into town if I have leprosy. Nobody questioned that at all. They all just started walking, and as they started walking, they go, oh, look. And they're all looking at each other and go, we're healed. As they're walking, I don't know if it was 10 steps, if it was a quarter mile, a half a mile, I, don't, I have no idea, but all of them were healed as they went. They were being obedient to what Christ had told them to do. But there was one man, when he saw he was healed, he came back. He praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. And he thanked Jesus. And Jesus was obviously moved by his actions. We know Jesus was and is God, but Jesus also has human characteristics. And I think Jesus longed for people to acknowledge what he did for them. And these nine guys just moved on, but this guy turned around and came back. And you know this guy had to think about this. He goes, if I turn around and go back, it's going to put a delay on me getting inspected by the priest and getting the okay to go back into community. And, number, and if I'm the last one to get to the priest, guess what? I'm the last one in line, and there's nine other guys that are going to get the inspection before me. So I'm going to be sitting there waiting while everybody else is moving through the line. But somehow it didn't seem to bother him. I don't care. I need to turn around and go back and thank Jesus for what he's done for me. And then Luke throws in these five words. And he was a Samaritan. Now some of us get that and understand that. We know there was this tension about the races of, of, of the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. And that goes back to the Old Testament. And I've shared a little bit about that before where, you know, it's when... Israel and the, and the northern and southern kingdoms, they got um, taken over by other armies and then they were exiled and they only left the poor and just a few people scattered in there. And those people were, were Jewish people, but they weren't supposed to marry with other people. But when they got um, exiled and other people moved in and they started intermarrying and then those people became known as Samaritans. You intermarried with somebody that wasn't Jewish. Now, when that happens, kids come, right? And kids have no, they didn't have a choice in that, did they? Who your parent married and, and decided to have you with. They didn't make a decision. So, but the Jews decided to ostracize those people. You were unclean. You were, you were sinful. And so you married somebody outside of our race. And now you've created this other race. And so for literally centuries, they've been making all the kids feel horrible about what their parents did. You had no choice, but let's all, as a nation, let's make that, those people feel really horrible about themselves because that'll draw them closer to God, right? Well, no, but that's, that's what was going on. But this man was a Samaritan. What else I find fascinating about this is if you're a Samaritan and you have leprosy, Jewish people that have leprosy don't care if you're with them. They go, yeah, so what? 
We're all, we're all ostracized now. Now we know what you feel like, Samaritan man. This is what it feels like. But we don't care because we all have it. We're all in the same boat with this horrible disease called leprosy. And so this man had been an outcast in a lot of ways because he was a Samaritan first, and he had dealt with that his life. But now he's a leper and a Samaritan. But interestingly, he seemingly had this community with the others. And Jesus is curious and asks three questions. And I don't know that this man gives him an answer or Jesus is even looking for one because the answers are obvious. Jesus says, were not all ten cleansed? Well, yes, everybody was cleansed. Well, where are the other nine? Well, I suppose they're running to the closest priest so that they can get the okay to return to their former life. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? No one else, Jesus. And this is one of several times in the Gospels where Jesus commends a Samaritan. Jesus commends a Gentile for their faith in action. And, and sometimes Jesus says things like, I, there's no one in all of Israel that has this kind of faith. And this is, I think, to make the Jews squirm a little bit in their hatred and their judgment of these groups that they've kept going for all these years and remind them that God and Jesus, you know, in the form of Jesus, God is saying salvation is offered to all people. God cares about all people suffering, and he wants to heal everybody, not just a certain group. So Jesus confirms this when he tells the man, rise and go forth, your faith has made you well. And we hear Jesus say this in the gospel several times. Your faith has made you well. And he's already had faith and started toward the priest for verification. And when he noticed he was healed, he turned around and came back to Jesus. But what does this mean? Your faith has made you well. I thought he already was well, Jesus. So what do you mean by that? Well, this word is also translated within the New Testament as saved, as is your faith has saved you. And we've heard Jesus say this in the gospels before. But Jesus is telling this man that you've not only been physically healed of leprosy and freed from leprosy, but now you've been spiritually healed and freed from sin because of your faith in me. And notice this comes from a pause to stop and go back to the source of the one you were looking to just as a healer of the physical and finding he's more than just the healer of the physical. He's the healer of your soul. And when we pause, whether out of necessity or choice, we can reflect and see clearly what we've been given and take action to show our thanks. And so this man came back to Jesus and he reflected on what just happened. Where did the source of that come from? And he praised God in a loud voice. And that's significant. When we do something in a loud voice, what does that usually indicate? There's something inside of us that means it deeper than, right? You know? When I say stop, not really a big deal. Stop! Okay, that gets your attention in a loud voice. We understand that. When we're yelling for our team, go, go, go. I mean, it's, it's something. So he praised God, not just praised God. I mean, he was in a loud voice. And then he threw himself at Jesus' feet, showed this humble position, and he thanked Jesus. I recognize you're the source of this life change that just happened to me. And I'd like to think, y'all, that I was that guy number 10. Wouldn't you like to think you would be the 10, too? Oh, yeah, I, I would be thankful, yeah, those guys, you know. Um, I would probably, though, have been so eager to get back to my family and get back to my old life that I probably would have forgotten to thank Jesus. And I probably in my mind would have said, I'll go back and thank him later. Have you ever done that? 
I was thinking about this week. I was really convicted this week as I was doing this sermon. I was like, man, there's a lot of people I need to thank as I'm doing all this. And I'm like, and I have it. And I meant to, right? You ever had that feeling? No, I really, I had good intentions of thanking you. Some of you are probably going, yeah, I did something for you, and I'm still waiting. (laughs) But here's the deal, y'all. Jesus did not heal us so that we could go back to our old lives. He heals us so that we can put to death our old lives and our old way of life and resurrect to a completely new way of life. Some of these Jewish friends of this Samaritan guy, guess what? They're going to go back and they're going to get approved by the, by the priest and they're going to go back into culture. And guess what? When they see him in two weeks, in a month, on the street, guess what they're going to do to him again? Oh, hey. Oh, this is awkward because we were friends when we were lepers, but we're not. And you can't hang out with me because I'm... Uh, back in the synagogue. So can you imagine how awkward that was? So God calls us away from an old life to a completely new way of life. And this man took the time to reflect on what his healing meant and took the time to fall down at Jesus' feet and acknowledge that. So when was the last time we fell down at Jesus' feet? I know that seems weird for me to ask that. What do you... We're not going to do that in church, Craig. We don't do that in church. People would you know, have a couple of guys escort you out, maybe. No, but we just, we, we don't really fall down at Jesus' feet. But this guy did, because it was that life-changing for him. There's something powerful that happens when we give thanks to someone or show gratitude to someone, and it makes a receiver feel appreciated, special, and valuable. You know, when you see somebody say thank you, it's one thing, but when you see somebody just hug somebody, after something they've given them, and they just, in one of those long, uncomfortable hugs, where you're like, he's not letting go. And we're laughing, because you know what I mean, because you know, no, this person is trying to give you that hug that tells you, you have no idea. I don't want to let you go. I want you to feel, not only in your heart, but with my physical body, how much that meant to me. That's a powerful thing, and I think that's what this guy did. A quarter century ago, there was a, a middle-aged pastor Um, named William Stidger, and he was thinking about his life. He was thinking about how long he had been in ministry and and just some of the ups and downs. But he also thought about, for a minute, uh, a teacher that he had when he was young who really introduced him to literature and had sparked a love uh, in him about writing. And he thought, man, she really had a big impact on my future vocation. And realizing he had never thanked her for the way he had touched his life, he decided to atone for his sins by writing her uh, a letter and, and letting her know. And so he did. He wrote out a hand letter to her. And uh, a few weeks later, he received a reply written in a very shaky scrawl. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It says, my dear Willie, I am now an old lady in my 80s, living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely and seemingly like the last leaf of fall left behind. You will be interested to know, Willie, that I taught school for 50 years, and in all that time, yours is the first note of appreciation I ever received. It came on a blue, cold morning, and it cheered my lonely old heart as nothing has cheered me in many, many years. Wow, how did nobody thank her in 50 years? But on the other hand, a small card of just saying thank you. What a huge difference it made in that lady's life. The Wall Street Journal reported 
that being appreciated is one of the great motivators in our jobs and in our careers, even better than money. Researchers at the London School of Economics, they analyzed uh, the, more than 50 studies that took, that took a look at what gets people charged up in their jobs and at their work. And they concluded that we give our best effort if work, if the work we have gets us interested and excited, if we feel that it's providing meaning and purpose, and if others actually appreciate what it is that we're doing. So two business professors designed a study in which they asked professionals to advise students about the cover letter they were um, using to apply on their resumes. And so after receiving the suggestions, the students asked for help with another letter to the same people. And some 32% of the professionals agreed that they would do it again. But when the students added a single line to their note about the first feedback, thank you so much for taking the time and giving me this feedback. I am really grateful. Then a full 66% of the advisors agreed, agreed to help again. So an exp a simple expression of gratitude doubled the response. And think about that. Aren't you more likely, I am, when someone acknowledges what I did and thanks me, I, want, I mean, I want to do something for you again because you appreciated it so much. It makes me want to do for you again. So we were raised to do it. We've been reminded to do it, and we even have a national holiday to remind us to do it. So why don't we do it more? Again, I think we all have good intentions and want to do this, but we just don't. Well, we get busy. We're distracted. We're done with one thing and, and we're going, moving to the next. I'm the worst at this. Constantly looking ahead and fearing that I'm going to miss out on the next thing for me. So I keep scrolling and I keep rolling and I keep going, not pausing and reflecting. And I don't know about you, but I, I need to pause. I need to reflect and not only to say thank you, but sometimes expressing it in practical ways like actually a handwritten note to somebody or a call to somebody. But we're ready we're getting ready um, in our service right now to uh, stop and reflect and hopefully fall at Jesus' feet and thank him for taking away our spiritual infection called sin, aren't we? That's why we do communion. And we do this by observing what Jesus, he set up this for us on the night that he knew he was getting ready to go the next day to be crucified. And I think that Jesus really knew, y'all, that we would forget. If he didn't set up something to help us remember, we would forget about it. We'd take the, oh yeah, thanks for the forgiveness. Thanks for the get out of hell free card, but I'm now on my way doing my other stuff. But no, he says, I want y'all this night to know that I'm setting up something now that will go throughout history. And y'all think about it, 21 centuries later, we're still doing it, aren't we? We're remembering because Jesus set that up. He instituted the Lord's Supper, a way that humans, wherever they are in history or wherever they are in the world, they can pause and remember and reflect on simple elements that in any culture people probably have, bread and wine, right? And I think about the simplicity of that that helps us remember to give thanks and reflect on that amazing gift of grace. So this morning, we're getting ready to go into a time of that. I'm going to ask our our praise team to come on up that are going to lead us into that time. And the Samaritan that came back was a, a model of gratitude. And that was a long time ago. That was in the first century. But we can learn a lot from him, can't we? By pausing and stopping where I'm going and completely turning around and taking the time to literally thank someone 
or to take time to reflect and give God the glory for all the things that he's provided in our lives. And maybe today you need to acknowledge that Jesus has called you and me out of our old lives into a new way of life. And part of that is starting by just thanking him and coming to him, just like this guy did. And the other part is truly surrendering every aspect of your life. There's no better way for us to show God that we're thankful for our salvation than to surrender our lives and every aspect of our life, actually surrendering that to him. When he sees us doing that, he goes, that's right. That's what I created you to be. That's what I created you to do. So maybe there's somebody here that needs to do that today. So we're going to offer that invitation. I know we're going to lead you in a song next. But if somebody needs to make that decision, I'll be here right here to kind of walk you through that the best I can. We can baptize you today, bury that old life, and be resurrected to a new way of life. But for the rest of us, we're going to pause right now, and we're going to reflect on the fact that Jesus died for us personally. And we're going to do that right before we take communion together. And if you didn't get that little package when you were coming in this morning, you can can make your way out um, during this song and go get you a package. But we want to do that together. If you're a visitor here today, you don't have to be a member of our church. If you're a believer, we invite you to be a part of this remembrance today, this, this thank you, this gratitude, this time to reflect on what Jesus has done for us. So I'm going to ask you all to stand right now as they lead us. And if you have a decision, I'll try to walk you through it right here. Thank <laughs> you.